Hi, welcome to another episode. I am joined today by Nate Turner from Tenspeed. Hi, Nate. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you doing? Well, thanks. Um, if you can just give our listeners kind of a little bit of a primer on your background and marketing and all that kind of stuff, that'll help and we'll get going. Yeah, absolutely. I got into SEO first uh, back in probably 2008 and worked for an agency for a while, got really into um, startups and kind of all things startup marketing and uh, was able to get a role as the first marketer at Sprout Social uh, back in 2011, uh, joined the company and really kind of helped build and scale the inbound engine, uh, but kind of back before people called it product-led growth. Um, and uh, had a tremendous experience there, about eight and a half years, grew to 100 million in revenue, IPO. Um, I just learned a ton uh, about you know scaling SaaS companies from that. And then from there left and did some consulting with a number of SaaS companies, uh, kind of across all aspects of, of marketing. Um, and then through that, sort of saw an opportunity to really be able to uh, specifically help SaaS companies with content and SEO, just saw there's continued need across a lot of the clients I had. So partnered up with a uh, former head of SEO I had um, working with me at Sprout Social. And uh, we started that in 2020 and now have for the last couple of years have been working with SaaS companies primarily, a little bit, um, some other B2B and B2C type of companies and uh, just kind of doing all things content and SEO for them to, to help them grow. So um, I guess the one of the natural questions that I have out of the gate is how is marketing for a SaaS company different than let's say for a conventional uh, or, or a conventional is probably not the right word, but a traditional, let's say um, non SaaS based company. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple things. I mean, first, you know, you could, discuss the delineation between venture backed and not and and sort of what that does to hiring funding budgets all of that but in terms of the purely the business model i think there's um you know a couple really big advantages one is the recurring revenue and sort of the lifetime value that you get um there and two is typically saas companies have very strong margins and so um when you think about that even compared to like you know maybe a 80 to 90% gross margin for a, a SaaS company versus maybe 30% for an e-commerce company, um, you you create a lot of opportunity to reinvest in the business um, out of your profits and um, do a lot. So I think that that really does uh, allow a lot of SaaS companies to put a lot more funding into their marketing and, and build some of that like marketing-led growth. So I would say that's probably two, um, two of the big factors for sure. So, so those margins... You know, you talked about, you know, a much higher gross margin that informs the marketing kind of in what way specifically just to to kind of help contextualize that. Yeah, I think just in general, um, you just have a lot more budget to to put across there. And so I think that uh, I think in my experience and working with the teams it allows um, founders and marketers to be a little more. Uh, creative and like, what are, what are all the things we should do and what are all the things we want to do? Um, and maybe not as much of like a budget constrained, okay, we can only do one thing. We have to really make it count and pick the most effective. Um, so I think there's just more there. And so obviously not every company is massive marketing budgets and and just doing whatever they want. But I think uh, compared to a lot of, you know, say retail or uh, e-commerce or, you know, some other type of company like that. I think there's certainly a lot more opportunity and therefore 
that's why you see, you know, paid marketing is sort of a very large category on its own across multiple channels and disciplines and conversion rate optimization and content marketing and SEO and brand. And, you know, the list just kind of goes on and there's, there's a lot that, that kind of falls into that. So the, the, I guess the other sort of part of that conversation that you alluded to it kind of earlier was um, there's a difference when it's venture backed versus um, I guess when they're still in the bootstrapping phase or what have you, what, um, how do you, how does that play out uh, in terms of, you know, the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think that um, first of all, the, the non-venture backed, I think typically in, in the earlier stages does look a lot like maybe a bit more like a traditional business in that you, you really, the extent of what you have to invest is, is solely out of your profits and there's no concept of burn rate and, you know, spending beyond that and, and running it typically, you know, a venture back business is unprofitable, um, you know, for a period of time. And so, um, I think that's probably the biggest thing is you do have some, some of those additional limitations and really forcing yourself to be, uh, maybe a bit more, uh, efficient than, than venture back companies, but also having to choose. Um, and then I've also worked with, you know, a bootstrap company, you know, in like a 20 to 30 million revenue range. And I think that that's when you do start, you know, there's still like maybe a bit of a difference in obviously not focused on cash burn, but like there's, once you get to a higher level and the, the budgets start to get bigger, then I think it starts to feel a bit more similar to a venture back company as well. But I would say that's probably the, the biggest difference. And I'm very, I'm very in favor of both. I mean, I'm not trying to imply a bias either way. I think that, um, you know, it's cool when you have bigger budgets and there's a lot of like stuff you can do and be really creative. And I think that um, the challenge of figuring out how to be efficient and creative on a smaller budget is also uh, a really cool thing too. So I imagine on the, uh, um, uh, I, I guess the Pareto side though, right? There's still the 80-20 on what's going to generate results and what doesn't. Is there a consistency across the startup uh, space that maybe not in the traditional space um, in terms of what works and what doesn't? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. I would say the thing that immediately comes to mind is is sort of the like free trial concept. I think that, and that's not necessarily a specific marketing tactic or channel, but like, I think that's still fairly unique um, to the, the SaaS world and, and really an opportunity um, to be able to actually have people try it and, and start to build stuff and, and build, uh, see themselves using their tool or sorry, using your tool, um, I think is probably a pretty big thing. And if you want to consider from, like you said, sort of the 80, 20, you know, I think that that, that is one of the things that does have a, a big impact. Uh, but in terms of like channel or, or tactic, I, I don't know that I would have a, a specific answer off the top of my right. head. Right. So, so that PLG kind of, um, you know, the, the free trial that leads into then maybe a, a, a higher, uh, higher tiered offering and all that kind of stuff. Um, that that's been something that's been going on in this ever since the freemium days back. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about 20, that's 20 years old now, almost that's yeah. terrifying. Um, yeah. but, but how, um, when it comes to marketing that, I mean, like, how does that, how does that work? Do you, you're directing traffic to like a free trial page? How's that, how does that go? Yeah. I mean, I think at the, you know, one of the biggest distinctions is, 
is it a free trial or is there a free plan? Um, you know, and so like Squarespace is a great example um, where you sign up and you can, you know, it's not limited to 14 days or 30 days. Like you have kind of as much time as you need to build a site, but you don't get to publish it until you're ready to pay. Um, so that's, you know, a you know pretty easy example. And obviously a lot of tools out there have a, a free plan that's limited. Um, but then the other, you know, the other side of that is, is the trial. And so I think that becomes a distinction in terms of some of the tactics and what you're trying to get them to do. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that in my uh, years of doing it, uh, whether it's premium aspect or the trial, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that on the product side in terms of, do you choose which plan to put them in? And if not, do you put them into like sort of the top plan or like just seeing everything? And then you have to kind of like, well, now that you want to pay, like you have to sort of downgrade the experience or do you try to, you know, like all of that balancing of how do you make sure they see all of the best parts and the things that they want to see without, you know, having to feel like it gets uh, taken away from them at the end and some of that balance. But um, yeah, I would really, you know, to, I guess, more specifically answer your question, I think there's, you know, a number of, of ways that you're, you're driving folks from other sites and from paid channels and, um, attracting people to your own site through content and things like that, that, um, kind of ultimately lead them down there, their process of, of buying, um, and the trial, um, something that we also saw over time was, um, the trial more and more became sort of the last step in, or one of the last steps uh, in their buying process versus how I think a lot of people thought was like, oh, they'll try it first and learn more. And like the reality is that they were actually educating themselves, narrowing down their list, you know, even just from sort of publicly available information. I'm mm -hmm. like, well, this competitor is too expensive. This one doesn't have this integration. Now I've narrowed it down. Now I'm actually going to spend the time to set up a trial and, and, and use the product and, and make sort of a final decision. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that you could probably spend multiple episodes unpacking all, <laughs> all the nuance there for sure. Well, I, you know, I guess the thing that's, that's really interesting to me is that there is a, um, you know, there's gotta be a strong, you know, interplay, particularly in these SaaS companies between product and marketing. And so the, the go-to-market strategy sort of conversation about where do you, you know, where do you introduce someone to their free trial versus uh, versus yep. the paid conversation has to inform the rest of the marketing process. Um, how, you, you know, in the effective teams that you've worked in, how does that interplay go? I mean, are, are the founders, are they all, or the startups, are they all typically receptive to like a, Hey, you know, we can't get, we can't get there from here with the marketing or, uh, how does that kind of, I guess, that interplay between product and marketing work from a sort of tactical perspective? Yeah, I think um, the, at the earlier stages, it's certainly a bit more loose and, you know, it, it, it's sort of earlier resource constrained, maybe not have like as much tracking and data available, like it, whether it's on the marketing side or the product side, someone spend some time analyzing kind of what's working, what's not, or, or identifying stuff. But um, I think the the teams that, that function well um, evolve appropriately over time and have, like, there's a very big product component. Um, and 
there it doesn't make sense to expect marketing in a product-led growth company to be fully driving the product side because it ultimately becomes very much like any other part of a product with product managers and you know all of the the work and engineering and design ux and everything that goes into that um and so i think that the biggest thing is just a, a good balance between the two and where you have good product fundamentals and the product team also understands yes this is sign up yes this is onboarding but we are we are paying attention to what happens beyond that and understanding how that flows into the paid account and like growth over time to make sure they're, you know, because at the end of the day, it's not just about the trial signups. It's not even about the initial conversion. It's about having that customer for 24, 36 months. Uh, and so making the product team, I think is better at understanding that through line to a long-term customer and marketing has more insights into, well, here's the channels, here's the tactics that actually bring us the quality people that will stay around because similarly marketing can sort of game signups and, and, you know, drive trial numbers way up, but then they're not converting or whatnot. So I think it, yeah, like I said, it's, it's relationship and clearly defined roles and, and letting the teams kind of play to their strengths while working together. Well, that's really, uh, really interesting. I, I, I love that dynamic um, in the places where it's working well, what does that interaction look like? Right. Or is that, you know, um, kind of who's running that meeting and how does it work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, um, I mean, I think like head of, of growth or, you know, chief growth officer type of role, I think, um, has really evolved in the last several years to be someone who understands both the, the marketing side and the product side. Um, and there may be not like, there's probably still a CMO or, you know, VP of marketing that's like, really handling a lot of, you know, brand and life cycle and customer marketing, all kinds of other marketing stuff. But in terms of that, like truly acquisition intersection, um, I think that typically would be the role we're seeing now. Um, in like, in my experience, um, we didn't necessarily have that, but it was, you know, myself kind of representing marketing acquisition, uh, and then sort of a growth product person. And we, you know, planned together, led meetings together and, and all that stuff. So as a as a third party provider for a lot of that sort of conversation in many ways, how um <clears throat> how is it that they, how do you integrate with the clients sort of uh, extant programs and where you know they need to go? Um how do you get kind of over that gap? Yeah, I would say uh are you you're asking about 10 speed specifically? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um I think most of the time we're we're pretty squarely on the marketing side um and aligning with what i mentioned before which is marketing's focus is bringing the right people into the trial and so that's very much because of that the experiences that we've had understanding like it's not just about getting any and all organic traffic and signups it's who is your actual icp and working with clients and understanding like okay, but of your customers, you know, what are the verticals or use cases that are the most profitable for you that we can use to inform you know, topic selection and, and some of that to really make sure that we continue to build towards that and saying, hey, we're not just driving traffic, we're we're bringing in the, the ideal folks that you want to be going through that. So we don't typically um, have to interface too much with sort of that relationship between marketing and product on kind of a growth aspect, but um, but what we're doing definitely plays into it quite a bit. 
Gotcha. So your um, uh, typical engagements, are you just basically a, a dotted line to product or not even that? I mean, how does that, again, as a third party yeah. provider, given that the tightness of that interaction or the tightness, the sort of implied required um, interplay there, um, how do you deal with with that just broadly? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we definitely have some product folks that get involved or at least kind of join monthly calls. Um, so there's, I think, kind of a, a variance. And the thing that's just wild really is like, as much as, we, as people sort of feel like, okay, we kind of understand how like a SaaS marketing team or, you know, a SaaS company would be structured and the roles you would have. The reality is just, you know, day in and day out of talking to prospects and, and clients and everything like title, like the same title across 10 companies, job title could really have wildly different responsibilities and even their own skill sets and their experience can be varied. And so that's where it really kind of compounds into the complexity of, you know, it's not always a, head of marketing it's not always a demand gen person it's not always you know a content marketer like those those vary uh significantly and so sometimes even the the marketers we're working with are a bit more of that growth person that is also working on some of the the product side and and whatnot and so um yeah it, it definitely varies but i think like you said the the most important part is is understanding the details from the client and, and what what's really working and what's a priority for them um, so that we can kind of help facilitate that and, and bring more of that to them. Gotcha. So yeah. uh, just, just uh, I guess, a, a fun kind of question. Um, have you ever started the marketing conversation with a product you know just isn't going to go? Um. Yes. Yeah. Well, a product isn't going to go as in like 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 this. Uh, the, yeah, the offering. The, well, it, more accurately, you you start down the path. The marketing, you know, the marketing seems to be performant, but the product itself is eh at best. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I I think mostly. Um, you don't have to name to weed, names. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, we try to weed those out before before we actually start working with them. Um, so I think that's typically, but but in that process, definitely run into that a lot. We're kind of like, I don't know, one, like none of us even understand what what you say you're doing. Um, yeah, not yeah. like that it's too technical, but just sort of product marketing is all over. Um, but we also like early on, we worked with a couple like pre-product companies because they were just gung-ho to get started and wanted to build for the long term, but they were free product and we don't do that anymore. Um, and really try to kind of coax out more details to understand that they already have product market fit. Like they're consistently getting, you know, new subscribers, like some of that, those details that help us understand, like this is resonating with their ideal target audience and we can help build towards that because yes, it happens all the time. I mean, the sheer number of companies being started and, well, not like that's it's bound to happen that there's going to be folks that the product yeah. isn't great or it just doesn't like the i they're who they think their target audience is it isn't them or you know it's a bad experience and people are churning like all kinds of stuff and and how do you break that news to the client um i i think you know we only get so much information so i don't ever feel that it's my place to, <laughs> to fully say like by the way your your stuff is garbage yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
because there, you know, there could be other stuff that's a a factor that I don't understand or or whatnot. But ultimately, just kind of try to explain that I don't think it's a fit for for what we do, and you know, or it's too early. And why don't you circle back when you've got more customers and you know a little more concrete use cases and that kind of stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's just sometimes just my opinion on on that aspect and. I don't put too much value in that. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You know, we've been talking a fair amount about that interplay between, you know, product and, and marketing and making sure that that's tight. And then, you know, you get in these situations where that, that interconnection is not there or in, in the context of, of what you're doing, it's a third party exchange. And so, you, you know, you've, you've got revenue on the table for mm-hmm. your organization. And at the same time, you're trying to, you know, push water uphill with this and it's not working. So um, being able to come back and 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 have those conversations has got to be uh, sort of central to like, like your make it or break it point, particularly working with startups. Is there a key inflection point? Like uh, if it's not working in, you know, three, six, nine months or whatever, then you guys push back and say, yeah, this isn't a fit or it's not going to, we're not going to be able to get you where you need to be. Um. Yeah, we certainly don't have a set time, but I think um, it's something we're always conscious of that we want to, if it feels like there's enough things kind of building up to where maybe expectations have shifted over time or things like that, um, that, you know, we always want to be upfront and transparent. and, Mm -hmm. And, you know, first, I think it's typically like, hey, this seems like maybe there's there's less alignment now than there was before, or, you know, let's, let's kind of get together and just talk through it. And, you know, half the time it's, you know, well, this new person came in in the company and sort of changing things. And so now like we did nothing to change, but like the, the lens in which things are perceived has changed internally, or definitely went through that a lot. Um, in 2022 with, uh, you know, the number of folks that had layoffs and, budget cuts and some of that, like, um, ultimately things just were viewed, uh, through a different lens than when we started. Um, but I think that's, that's definitely a big part of what we, uh, focus on over time is just making sure that we have that. And, and sometimes if it's a CEO who's not involved and we can get them to kind of get that person on the call and just talk through. And, you know, sometimes it's a small thing that's kind of grown into a big thing and you can address that and move on. And sometimes it's, it just isn't a fit anymore. And, you know, we had one company we talked to and we're doing that and they were a bit more on the consumer side and it was like, yeah, like this might work, but like you should just go do like influencer marketing will probably do really, really well for this product. And this is a bit more of like a newer unsought good kind of thing that like, um, you know, we can still do some stuff from a search perspective, but it's a very visual thing, like seeing someone use it, like influencer marketing will probably be substantially better, you know, come back to us in two years and we'll kind of help you build a new channel then, or, you know, something like that. So yeah, I think it's, there's a lot that happens over time, but, um, but always a good conversation to have and things to be mindful of. Mm. All right, Nate, uh, tell us a little bit about who's a good fit for 10 speed and kind of what your, what your ICP looks like. Uh, so that any of the folks listening that might be uh, looking for what you got can learn a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we do work with um, kind of early stage and growth stage startups. So 
um, seed to, you know, series D really. Um, the, the main things we typically look for is like, it's a product um, and a company that, if, you know, fits well in terms of there's a lot of topics we can educate folks on. They, they want to like understand and learn and, and, um, and educate themselves through content that makes sense as written content. So I realize that's kind of a, a bit complex, but there are certainly things that um, for some companies are just better in video format or things like that. And some things that are really uh, meant to be, to be broken down and, and people will be researching and educating themselves. So a few of the factors we look for there, uh, but we'd love to see, you know, at least one full-time marketer, on the team, sometimes uh, at least a marketer and a content marketer. Um, so we work with teams from a marketing team of one up through, I think the largest is 40 people. Um, and so we're really trying to um, just jump in with a company that has a desire and that, that need and the opportunity. And we really focus on that intersection of content marketing and SEO, um, going pretty deep on the SEO side in terms of technical onsite, all that. Um, and then that allows typically the, the in-house team to do some of the stuff that would be a bit more involved, uh, for, to outsource like webinars, um, case studies, like some of those things that, um, content types that they can do or campaigns that could be focused on channels. Uh, and we really kind of drive at, you know, everything from strategy execution, um, all of that for, for that area. So, um, yeah, so I'd say you know, early stage companies, typically a small team, and then the larger stage, we're kind of augmenting. They, things are working, they want to move faster, um, and we'll we'll kind of join and, and augment that team. And then the, the three big areas I would say we typically help companies, one is just sort of the, the proven strategy framework that we have. So um, kind of skipping for teams that want to like skip the trial and error and... Um, and really just kind of jump right in and, and work with what they know will will get results. Um, second is the bandwidth aspect. So early stage companies always struggle with bandwidth. Um, and then as I said, even larger companies, we can kind of help augment. Um, and then lastly, it's just, we focus on kind of getting the most out of, of their content. And so um, for companies that have content, but it's not performing like they would like it to be, um, or companies that need to just get a lot out of, the time spent on that content. Um, we, we really work well there. So I'd say that's kind of the three main things that we help. Gotcha. So um, in your journey to, to get to where you are now, what are the three biggest uh, bits of knowledge you picked up along the way? Um, one I would say is like focusing on impacting core company metrics. Uh, a lot of marketers can kind of get distracted with sort of their craft or measuring specifically what they're doing, uh, which is where, you know, in the past has sort of led to like, you know, but look at all the MQLs we generated or, you know, look at all the social followers we got like gained. Um, and not that those things are bad, but, it, you know, as the end goal, they're bad. Um, so I think really understanding revenue and, you know, some of the other core company metrics and being able to speak to how your work impacts that. Uh, and if you don't know, then figuring that out, because that's just a useful thing. So I would say that's definitely a big one. Um, uh, I think second is probably just really um, 
I don't think you can ever have too much time spent or or effort around understanding your customer uh, and your target audience and what matters to them and how your product actually helps solve their their pain points or make their life easier or whatever it is. Because um, I think we we can tend to make some assumptions and the the more you just continuously... I mean, founders are great about talking to customers in the first year. Um, but then I think over time, that can kind of fade from the, the company culture. So um, yeah, talking to customers, I think is, is another really big one. Um, and a third one, I don't really know how to word it. It's sort of like managing things like your own, like it's your own, you know, like um, whether you truly did start a company like me um, or, you know, in-house role, like I think there's just a lot to to taking ownership and, and not being like, well, you know, whatever we raised 70 million, you know, last year, like company has money, but like really kind of digging in and understand and, and uh, making sure that the, the investments go, as as far as you would like them to go if you were if it was your money. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show today, Nate. I really appreciate your insight. Um and uh please be sure to circle back if you uh come up with some new and interesting stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at Brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-I-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our podcasting done-for-you service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet. Or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, We will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, Our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.